year-end giving information, everybody's favorite time of the year. Um, do want to encourage you to help us meet our budget at the end of the year. December is so important when you are a church. Um, hey, I want to thank you guys. So many of you have been praying for my father. Many of you know my dad had a massive heart attack about uh, October 29th, so it's been a while. Um, my dad came home from rehab on Friday. So uh, this is an incredible... It's, I'm telling you, it's borderline miracle. Um, two weeks ago, my father couldn't sit, stand, or feed himself. Today, he can walk and go upstairs and eat. So um, thank you all so very much. He still has a little bit of a long road ahead, but he is in a much better place than he was. And uh, I attribute it to, to my friends and your prayers and our great God. So thank you. Now, Friday night, um, the elders and the staff got together for our annual Christmas dinner. These people, they work themselves to the bone all year long, many of them working five, six, seven days a week. Uh, most of them are volunteers, and every year we, we, we reward them with a couple of appetizers. And so we gathered uh, to share those appetizers this week on Friday night. And Mike DeLuca is always requested to do what youth pastors are supposed to do. It's in the job description. Come up with some games um, for us to have fun with, right? And so... Um, uh, my team didn't do so well, which it pains, pains me to say, because I had declared victory long before it started, and uh, I lost like all of my teams usually do. Anyway, I didn't want us to be the only ones that had some fun this Christmas, so I want to start today um, by playing a little game with all of you. Here's the game. We're going to put up this picture of this Christmas tree. Isn't he cute? Right? Now, I want you all to get a good look at that tree, okay? I want you to kind of press that tree into your mind. Ignore the fact that apparently it's got some watermarks in it, so we apparently stole this Christmas tree too, so. <laughs> press that into your mind, all right? Take down the Christmas tree. Okay, here's the game. What I want you to concentrate on right now for the next few minutes is this. I do not want you, whatever you do, I don't want you to think of the Christmas tree. Like whatever you do. If your life depended on it right now, you can't think of the Christmas tree. Are you with me? What are you thinking about? Exactly. That is a problem. It's called, actually, experiential avoidance. Have you ever heard of this phenomenon? It's so fascinating. It's, you know, you go down these rabbit holes with sermons sometimes, and you're like, I spent a whole day on experiential avoidance. You might not have heard of the term, but I know you know the theory because you're a human being and you're familiar with the concept. It was probably taught to you by your mama who learned it from her mama. Here's how it goes. It goes something like this. If something bothers me, hurts me, makes me feel bad, causes some anxiety or inadequacy to well up, if something, if something upsets me, right, or, or brings inner turmoil, turmoil or strife or shame into my heart, there's only one way to deal with such a thing. I mean, think about it, right? What did your parents tell you to do? What did you tell your kids to do when they come and say, oh, mom, I'm really worried about this. It's really causing me a lot of strife. Whenever I think about it, it really makes... So what do you tell them to do? You tell them, just don't think about it. Do you see what failures you are as parents? Right? That's called experiential avoidance. That's the concept. That's what we do, right? Whenever there's something that causes us strife or anxiety or fear, 
What we naturally do, what we've been taught to do, our defense mechanism is don't think about it. Whatever you do, don't think about it. Some of you are visual learners, so I thought maybe, I, uh, sometimes a picture says a thousand words, I thought I'd give you a visual representation of experiential avoidance. Here's what it looks like. <laughs> right? This is what we do. Men, we're particularly good at this. Now, one of the principles that underlies the concept of experiential avoidance is that it turns out the harder you try to ignore whatever it is that's bothering you and causing you some distress or worry or anxiety, the more you try to forget it, the more you wind up thinking about it. Super interesting as, as you go through the, the experiments. Uh, the little game we actually just played, that little Christmas tree game, right? It's been carried out at all kinds of different levels. And here's what they've, they've discovered. That the Christmas tree, for example, when it's mentioned or described, that image doesn't necessarily elevate in the minds of the subject. Just because they heard something doesn't mean they're really thinking about it, right? Ladies, you're aware of this with your husbands. You bring things up all the time. It never crosses his mind. But in the experiment, whenever you try to, ex to suppress the thought, the thought actually increases. So you might want to try to use this to your advantage. Honey, I don't want whatever you do. I know you're watching football. And so I don't want you to think about how messy the room looks when you leave your clothes all over the floor. Whatever you do, don't think about what a disaster it is up there. See, these, these negative pain, anxiety-causing thoughts, they're like beach balls, right? That you just, you're trying to hold them underwater, but you can't. Now, here's what psychologists have discovered. It's actually the irony of the whole thing. Experiential avoidance has, bound to actually, has been found to actually maintain or even increase psychological distress. Don't think about it. Whatever it is, is actually causing the hurt and the anxiety to get worse. Not only that, it's actually thought to, to underlie many of our unhealthy escape behaviors, such as substance abuse, right? Risky sexual behavior, deliberate self-harm, all because we're trying to avoid certain thoughts, that, that, that thing that's going on inside of us. I like how one writer summed it up that I read. Quote, when we try to run away from or deny unpleasant thoughts or feelings, we're creating an inner, quote, battlefield. We're essentially declaring internal war upon the self. There are no winners, only losers. My favorite quote about the whole topic, it comes from psychologist Carl Jung. Here's what he said. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own soul. Welcome to week two of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Here's what we know. It's what the prophets foretold. It's what the angels that first Christmas night in Bethlehem declared. But the truth is, and we know this incrementally in 2021, more than ever, peace on earth and goodwill towards men seems to be something that so few of us actually experience. Now, last week, Last week, we, we, we looked at the foundational peace, our lack of peace with God. This week, we're going to look at a different kind of peace, peace within, that inner battlefield, those places inside of us that are just at unrest, where anxiety dwells, where in some sense, we've declared war on ourselves. Truth is, it's hard to have goodwill towards others 
when we have so little for ourselves. Now, we got to back up just a tiny bit before we, we, we go forward. If you weren't here last week, there's two things that you need to understand about the series before we move on. First, super key to understanding who Jesus is and what Christmas represents. When Isaiah, Israel's great prophet, foretold Jesus the Messiah would be called the Prince of Peace, when the angels came and the heavenly host declared this era, this new era of peace, both in Isaiah in the Old Testament and with the angels in the New Testament, that word that in English is translated as peace, the original words, which in the Hebrew were shalom in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in the Greek were arene, they meant much more than peace. We just don't have an English word, the f- one word, to fully describe it. Jesus was declared by the angels that he was going to be the prince of shalom. And to, to, the, end, to the end of his shalom, well, there would be no end. Right? The angels declared that that's what would happen on earth. And what shalom means in its simplest form is completeness, wholeness. The core idea of what Jesus was to be and who he is and what he brings with him is this, life is hard. It's complex, there's a lot of moving parts and relationships and situations that we get ourselves in. And when any of these things is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Your life isn't whole any longer and it needs to be restored to the way it was. That's what shalom means when you use it as a verb, right? When you bring shalom, you are bringing something to completion. You are making it complete again, making it whole again, restoring what was broken, binding or joining together something that's been separated or divided. That's the story of Christmas. This isn't just what Jesus came to do. This is who Jesus is. Remember, I gave you that little Susian rhyme last week, right? Peace is not a how. That's how we think. How do I get peace? Peace is not a how. Peace is a who. And it starts with you. Paul explained it to the Ephesians this way. He said, speaking of Jesus, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace. It's not about a who. Excuse me. It's not about a how. It's about a who. It's not about how to bring peace or find peace. It's about a who. Jesus is our peace. He himself is shalom. He is our wholeness and our completeness and our reconciliation. Second thing you need to remember as we go forward, and I showed you this last week, it's all over the Bible. This is the gospel, that Jesus has come to restore shalom, to reconcile again what has been broken and torn apart. Specifically, he came to reconcile everything that's been lost to sin in our lives and in our world, to bring shalom in in these relationships we find ourselves in. First with God and and then, then within us, and then to others. Today we're going to look at this relational place of disorientation, dislocation, and disintegration. And we're going to look inside to see how Jesus came to restore inner shalom, wholeness, fullness, completeness within to, to us to give and bring inner shalom. It is possible in a world that has gone crazy to live apart from it in it, but not impacted by it, walking through the craziness with this deep sense of inner peace. Now, here's the deal. In order to have peace within and to have peace with others, foundationally, you have to have peace with God. 
Jesus showed that in what he called his greatest commandment. We looked at it last week, right? Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know, many of you know what he said. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, right? So love God, have shalom with God, restore the relationship with God. And then the second is like it, Jesus said, to love others, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's the concept of inner peace and peace with others. This is what Jesus is up to, right? You need to find shalom with God in order that you might have that shalom within and that you might bring that shalom to others. Now, what we looked at last week is that God, in the form of this child on Christmas, God comes to us and offers us peace. God extends to us, and this is why I gave all of you an olive branch last week, and I hope you've, been, you've kind of kept it in a certain spot and reminded yourself over and over, God has extended to me. I haven't extended to him, but God has extended to me this symbolic branch of peace, this olive branch. We looked at where that came from last week. Now, here's how Paul explained that to the church in Rome. He said, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God, shalom. We've been restored and reconciled in our relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, not through our works, through Jesus. It's a who, not a how. Through him, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace we now stand. We have peace with God, not through a how, not doing more good than bad, not giving enough, not going enough, right? You can never be good enough to earn the peace with God that he has freely extended to you in the person of Jesus. Paul would try to explain it. He keeps trying to explain this because it's, it's a difficult concept. To the church in Colossae, he wrote, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, everything that's been broken by sin, right? By making shalom through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, this is important, holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That's what this table reminds us of, right? Peace is a who. And what, what, what was it about? It was about reconciling you to God, restoring the relationship to what it was meant to be. That's what the olive branch means. God no longer sees you as an enemy. God no longer sees you as an enemy. Your behavior might still indicate that you are, but he no longer sees you that way. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ, he now sees you I didn't write this, Paul did, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He sees you as holy without blemish, free from any accusation. That's your standing with God this morning, because peace is about a who, and it starts with you. And so this morning, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm here to declare. First off, this week, I'm here to tell you, this Christmas Sunday season, you are at peace with God. God, maybe more specifically, has made peace with you. You've really done very little. <laughs> but he has extended the olive branch. If you believe, if you trust in God for your salvation, right? His life, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. You have peace with God. Listen, foundational. You have peace with God settled 
There's just one problem. And you know this. Maybe you feel this, but you've never seen it put to words. There is a big difference between peace with God and the peace of God. See, many of us, maybe most of us, because of our faith, we have peace with God. Far, far fewer of us experience in our lives the peace of God. Big difference. Now, I don't need to spend a lot of time on the stats. You know them. While anxiety amongst us, here's what, what, what the, the scientists are telling us. Science, uh, anxiety has grown over the last 80 years. Anxiety has grown in all of us every year for the last 80 years. Every time they measure it, it goes up. Last year was something they've, <laughs> like 2020 was something they've never seen before. Rates of depression and anxiety climbed globally by more than 25% in one year. This devastating ripple effect, particularly crushing to women and young people. In 2020, women experienced an almost 30% increase in major depressive disorders and an almost 28% in anxiety disorders. Men saw 24 and 22% increases, respectfully. With our kids, it's even worse. One-third of our teens have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. One-third of them. And unfortunately, here's the position we found ourselves in because we've misunderstood what it is that we've been offered. We find ourselves in the position of offering to ourselves and offering to our children one solution. You know what the one solution has been? Just don't think about it. But it doesn't work. It just makes it worse. See, here's the truth of Christmas. The truth of Christmas is that you have been offered something much grander than repression techniques. That night in Bethlehem, it changed everything, but we missed the message. See, Jesus came to bring shalom and wholeness and completeness on earth, but he also came to bring shalom, completeness, and wholeness within. It's not a how, it's a who, and it starts, well, it starts within you, right? There is shalom that can exist within you. That's the story of Christmas. It's the story of Christ. It is part of the good news. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus walks, he's explaining to his disciples what's going to happen. And as he's getting ready to depart, right, he's telling them what's going to happen after he leaves. Here's what he says to them. Shalom. Peace. Shalom. This, this wholeness, this completeness, this restoration, reconciliation. He goes, shalom, peace. I leave with you. This is what I'm leaving. You know what I'm leaving? Peace. My peace I give to you. My shalom, the one that I have inside. I don't give to you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Jesus is going, what I live, how I feel inside is what I'm leaving you. And it's not the way the world is going to try to give it to you. Now, we know that kind of peace, right? I mean, I, I, just being honest, I chase that peace a lot. Now, I'm 50, I'm a man in and around my 40s. And so, here's what I've discovered in those 40-some years, right? The peace that the world gives is a complete sham. It's a fraud. 
It lies all of the time. You know how I know? Because every time it tells me what I need to be peaceful, whenever I get it, you know what I feel? More worried that I'm now going to lose what it is I got that was supposed to give me the peace I've been looking for. Right? You know this peace. You know the world, what it's trying to tell you, how you can have that, you can reduce that inner conflict, how your anxiety levels can come down. All you need to do is get the girl. Right? Or the job. Or the house or the paycheck. I mean, if we could just have the baby or, or if the prognosis is right, then I'll have peace. But here's how we know it's a fraud. Most of you know this. Whenever you get that thing, it actually doesn't increase your peace. It just gives you one more thing to be anxious about. See, the, world, the way the world gives peace is through hows. Jesus' peace is an offer of a who. Again, I want you to understand, this is what Jesus, because he is a good, good father, this is what he wants for you, his children. Here's again, John records it this way. Another time, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, why? Because peace is not a how, peace is a who. In me, you might have peace. Shalom. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. That's the promise of Jesus nobody likes to remember. In this world, I promise you, I'm making you this promise, you're going to have trouble. I promise you. Right? Nobody, no, a televangelist never tell you that and ask you to send money in. Right? But Jesus does. I'm telling you, in the world, you're going to have trouble. But in me, you can have shalom. And he says you're going to need it. What he's saying is I'm offering to you a peace that is not influenced by your circumstances, by what's going on around you. Because that's what we tend to think. If I could get my circumstances right, if what on the outside, if I could get them all set correctly, then what's on the inside will finally rest. But you can't control what's on the outside. So you never find the rest that you're actually looking for. See, Jesus is going, look, that's a sham. I'm telling you, you're not going to get what you're looking for. You can't control your circumstances. Not only that, I'm making you a promise. You're going to have trouble. But I'm offering you something else. I'm offering you what I have. Jesus would look at you and go, you remember there was that seismos out on the water that one time? That's how bad the storm was. The, the Greek word there is like what we use to measure earthquakes. That's how bad the storm was. And what was Jesus doing while the storm raged? Sleeping. I'm offering this to you. I don't. You see Jesus going, you see, I, I don't worry. I, I don't get panicked. I have this inner peace. You could, in fact, when he said you could, I think he might pause and go, no, you should too. Peace is a who, and he's alive in you. That's what makes it possible. Even in the craziest of circumstances, it's in you now. Now, how do you access it, right? Did you know? I don't know. I don't understand why we, we, we miss things that are just sitting there all the time. There's actually a whole near chapter in the scriptures devoted to finding the peace of God to battle anxiety 2,000 years ago. Now, it's been around for a long time. Meanwhile, our anxiety just keeps growing, and we just keep trying not to think about it. Just don't think about it, right? Just push it down. 
and it just makes it worse. But God has got this way to find the, to find the peace within where we've all been looking for it. It's been laid out. Here's, here's what it is. Paul wrote, this is how you access the peace of God that is already within you. He said this to the church in, in Philippi. He said, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Starts with something that foundationally you need to understand. It's this. Here's what he's trying to tell you. Christmas is true. Now, that might not sound like a big revelation, but I think sometimes we watch way too much Rudolph and Frosty and we get Jesus' story confused. Christmas is true. It is historically documentable. It is real world. It is a first century event. Jesus of Nazareth, there are extra biblical sources that prove this, existed. And if you, want to, to, if you want to find and access the peace that God came to bring you, you have to understand that that is true. And if it is true, here's what it means. God is not far off. God has come to earth. God is not distant and angry. God, this story of Christmas, the story of Christmas is that he has chosen to come near. How much closer could he be? Interesting enough, in the, in the opening of Matthew's gospel, Matthew literally, in order to prove the validity of Jesus, walks through the lineage of Jesus from Abraham, who, who was the one to whom the promise of Messiah was given, through David, who was the line from which the Messiah was to come, all the way to Joseph, the father of Jesus. G Matthew wants you to know, I can tra trace this back for you. You can go and check. This is real. Jesus is real, and not only that, Matthew then records what the angel said to Joseph. The angel said, your son is going to be called, after he just showed you that he was real, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, in order to have the shalom of God, in order to have the peace of God, you have to believe that God, in the form of Jesus Christ, is real and close and near. Jesus understood that. And then Paul goes on. Now he says, since that's true, don't be anxious, but instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Once you realize he's near, and you remember the peace that God has offered you, that you now stand before him like children of his, without blemish or spot, right? Once you understand what he's offered you, then you come to him in every situation. In every situation. Are some situations hopeless? I'm here as your pastor to tell you there is no such thing as a hopeless situation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the promise of Christmas. Is there ever a time where you would be better off just trying to forget what happened? The answer is no. No. Should you not just think about it? No, you should not. You, you should not not think about it. There's a double negative. You should. I'll tell you why in a minute. You should think about it, but even more than that, don't just think about it. You take it to God by prayer and petition. By prayer means I'm aware he's close, I'm aware he's near. I'm now going to begin to bring this to him. I'm not going to repress it in me. I'm going to bring it up and take it to my Father who is right here. I'm going to bring it to him by prayer through this conversation. I'm going to bring it up. 
And then petition means to humbly ask in humility to ask God for what it is that you need, what it is that will bring you peace. Now, let me explain something. When you bring by prayer in petition and petition through humility to this God that's close, what is driving your anxiety? When you do, please remember that peace is a who and not a how. God is not in the business of furthering our reliance on circumstances, people, power, or pleasure for our peace. That's often what we come to him with. God, I feel terrible about this. Would you give me some kind of fake peace that will please me for a little while? God is not in the habit of sustaining our addictions. As a good father, he's never going to lead you to frauds and phonies. That's not what God does. Paul says in order to access the peace of the who in you, you need to know that he's near. You need to stop repressing what it is that's driving those things, what's causing your anxiety, and bring them to him and ask for his peace to come to you. But as you do, important thing here, and we miss it a lot, as you come looking for peace with your prayers and petitions, please make sure, this is what he writes, that you include thanksgivings with thanksgiving. Why? Because God's some narcissist up in the sky just going, these kids don't appreciate me. No. Because when you come to God with a spirit of thanksgiving, you remember all of the things that God's already done, all the stuff he's so graciously been giving you without even asking. I mean, I just did the exercise myself this week to, to, try, to, to try to work through it, right? I mean, I don't prescribe medication I don't take. And so I sat there, and really the things that were causing me anxiety, I tried to bring before the Lord, and then I worked through this process of thanksgiving. But Lord, let me also say, I want to thank you for my wife. I can't believe how this woman loves me. It's, it's insanity what, that you've allowed me to live with this woman. And then I thanked him for my kids. And then I thanked him for you guys and this incredible church and this community of, of faith and hope and love that I've gotten to grow up in and raise my children in. And I started thinking about things like the house I, I have. Do you know, not one time, I'm a man in and around my 40s. I'm not sure I shared that with you earlier, but not one time in those 40-some years have I ever wondered where my next meal was going to come from. Not one time. Every, I, I don't even think about it. Not one time. Right? And, and as you do these things, when you come to God in Thanksgiving, what does it do? By the way, I'm about to have a granddaughter too. That was my last one. I'm about to have a little granddaughter. So, yeah, it's amazing, right? This is how good he's been to me. And so when I sat there and I did that, it makes me realize how active he already is in my life. All the, the good that he's brought me. And what does it do? It increases my trust that he's at work, that he's alive, that I can trust him. Why am I worried? Why am I worried? It makes me trust more. It actually changes what it is I'm praying for. You see, when you start thinking that way, it actually changes what you start praying for. Tim Keller had this great line on prayer. He said uh, that when you get to this place with God, right, when you're walking in this intimacy, right, where, where you're living in this relationship with God, where you know that you can draw close and that he's faithful and, you, and he can be trusted. Here's what Keller wrote. He goes, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. How good is that? Right? If we, if we understood it, if we knew what God knows, we would ask for what it is that he gives. And that's why Paul says, 
If you do these things, the peace of God, the shalom, the integration in your inner self, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. The shalom of God, the rest of God, of Jesus sleeping in the boat, it'll be yours, and it'll transcend all understanding. Of course it will. Your family's going to think you're nuts. Why aren't you freaking out? Right? Why aren't you scared to death right now? Your friends are going to wonder what's wrong with you. Are you in denial or something? No, actually, the complete opposite. I am facing reality with my eyes wide open. I have brought these things to God. I'm not repressing anything. In the light of your circumstances, how do you have this kind of peace? Well, peace is a who and it's not a how. And here's the thing. That who, here's what Paul said, he's guarding your heart and your mind. What, what kind of person guards? A soldier, a, 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 an army guy, a special forces person? This prince of peace is guarding your heart and your mind. He's guarding the way you think and the way you feel. He's guarding it. He's protecting it. He's not allowing things to harm it. I like how Peter put it. Peter, who dealt with some anxiety issues himself, right? How'd that whole walk on water thing go? It was great until he looked at his circumstances. How'd that I'll never deny you, Jesus, you can rely on me thing go? Great until he looked at his circumstances. Here's what Peter, Peter learned. He said, cast all of your anxiety. Isn't that funny that we're talking about anxiety 2,000 years ago? Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I know that might sound like a platitude you type or you, you write on a pillow. But there's a because there that makes it different. Why, why can you cast all, not a little, not some, all of your anxiety on Jesus? I'm telling you, because he actually cares for you. You have peace with God, right? Cast your anxiety on him, and now you can have the peace of God. You can cast because he cares. Now, Paul goes on about anxiety and peace and shalom within. It's almost like Paul knows, okay, there's some people that are going to understand that peace, but then there's other people that maybe you're like me, and it's like, okay, but could you make it more practical for me? I get the spiritual understanding of this, but could you break it down practically? How would I access the who in me, the who in you? How do I do that on a daily basis? Practically, Paul. Paul says, okay, here's two ways to access the peace that you already have access to. First, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. First thing, remember, it's going to guard your hearts and minds. Guard your mind. Paul says, you want to have the peace of God, you've got to guard your mind. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. Think about this. There was no printing press. There were no books, let alone television, internet, or social media. By the way, if you want a singular answer to why the wars within us are raging at levels never seen before, why anxiety is going through the roof over the last 80 years, go back and see what was invented about 80 years ago. Where all of the sin and the brokenness and the lack of shalom that, that we used to see was only the stuff that existed in our own lives. And now, right, now we see it all the time, dumped into our living room. First, it was just the evening news, once at night, 6 to 6.30. I can handle that. And then it was a 24-hour news cycle. And now it's the addiction of a social media platform that's in our pocket, 
all of the sinfulness and the brokenness and the lack of shalom in the world, the breakdown of everything, it's literally packaged up with a pretty bow put on it and says, look at me, look at me, look at me. You have no peace. Here's what Paul said to the church in Rome. He said, here's why you have no peace. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. He goes on. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and shalom. Very practically, if you want to access the peace of the who that's within you, then what you have to do is watch what you put in your mind. Literally, here's what he said to put in your mind. What, we handed this out 15 years ago on a card, but I'm telling you, and this is more than knowing the verse, put in your mind whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about those things. I'm telling you, do you want to access the peace of the who that already lives in you? Spend some time. Make a plan. Find the stories Study these things, not just the Bible verse. Study these things. Start your day. Take 10 minutes before you go out and take all the toxins in. Take 10 minutes to think about these things. Find a good news website. Read Chicken Soup for the Soul. I don't care what you do. Watch the morning boost on the Today Show. But think about these things. Second practical thing, and then I'm done. Whatever you've learned, here's what Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace, shalom, will be with you. Four key words that believers miss all the time, put it into practice. Paul says it's not enough to know the right thing to do. He says whatever you've seen or learned from me, don't just know it, don't just read it, don't just memorize it. Can I be brutally honest with you guys? The reason so few of us who have peace with God lack the peace of God is that we do not practice what it is we've seen and heard. We have faith, but we live as functional atheists. We have the Holy Spirit within us that's leading us in the paths of righteousness, and we we just ignore the leading. We disregard the prompting. You know, I mean, look, we just... We keep sleeping with our girlfriends and cheating on our spouses and having emotional affairs at the office, holding grudges against those who have hurt us, gossiping about the neighbors, disregarding our parents, letting our marriages go on and on without the counseling they need, living beyond our means because we treasure stuff, running up debt so we can have what others have. I mean, I could do this all day, right? This is why we don't have peace. Do you know who the biggest threat to my inner peace is? Me. It's not my circumstances, most of which I created. It's the me and me. I know what Paul said. I know what Jesus taught. I saw how he lived. The Spirit is trying to lead me. I just don't often put it into practice. Christians, we have a great ability, a propensity actually, maybe better than anybody else, to lie to ourselves. Jesus' disciple John, he he knew what we're capable of. Here's what he wrote. He said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Just what Paul said, right? Right? So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, our peace, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If we claim to have peace with Him and yet walk in the darkness, my olive branch, 
we lie and do not live out the truth. If we pretend we have peace with God, but we know we're living in disobedience to him, we're lying to ourselves and to those around us. You can't have peace with God, or no, you can't have peace with God, but you can't have the peace of God and just ignore what he says. We're wrecking our own peace. We blow the shalom that's been offered to us. I mean, if you know in your heart what God wants, and most of us do, and yet we choose not to do it, we just keep creating the brokenness all over again. We just keep bringing the disunity within ourselves. Here's how James' brother, or Jesus' brother James summed it up. He said, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You ever feel that way? I know some of you do. It's like, oh, man, this, this thing inside of me. I'm going to let you in on a huge secret. Last week, here's what we learned, that the peace of or peace with God comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Week one, peace with God by faith with Jesus Christ. Do you know how you get the peace of God? The peace of God comes with submission to Jesus Christ. You're made right by the, the olive branch that God has offered you. But the peace you're looking for comes as you submit to the will of God in your life. When you do what his spirit informs you to do. If you want to rhyme for it, here you go. Get ready to write this down. This took some talent and some work. If you want the peace of God, you have to be true to the who that lives in you. Right? You want the peace of God, you've got to be true to the who that lives in you. Otherwise, you're walking around uh, unstable. Here's how the psalmist put it. This is great. Great peace, not just a little peace, great shalom have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. They're not unstable. Last week, I, I asked you to, to place the olive branch somewhere as a visual. As a, and, and by the way, if you didn't get an olive branch last week, this is the, Joan and I cut all these up for you. This is our very generous gift to each and every one of you. <laughs> but there's a basket outside on the Welcome Center. Pick one up on your way out. Last week, I asked you to put it somewhere to be a reminder of the peace that God has offered you. God has made the first move. And at a great cost to have peace with you. This Sunday, I'm asking you to take the olive branch down and to offer it to somebody. And that someone is you. Jesus came not only so that you might have peace with God, Jesus came so that you would enjoy the peace of God. Rightness, wholeness, completeness, fullness. God is a good father, and just like with my kids, I don't want my kids living their whole lives in some state of fear or dread or worry or anxiety. I want them to know that I am near and that I'm here for them, that I have the power to help them. Not only do I have the power to help them, but I want to help them. If they would just ask for the help, I'd be glad to come and help them. I would be glad to take their burdens upon me. That's what good fathers do. Now, some of you this morning might be thinking, and if you are, you're right. This whole inner peace thing, it really only works... It really only works if you, like, really, really, really trust God. That's what would allow me to cast my anxiety on him. It's what would allow me to actually bring these things up rather than to push them down, to bring them up in prayer. It's, it would, it's what would make me do things, even though I don't want to do them. It would make me do things I don't want to do. You have to really trust and believe that God's near. But how do you know? How do you know that he's near and he's close and he loves me? I was thinking about that question this week because I think that's at the core of it. I'm going to close with this. The peace of God really is only available to those who believe that God is good and near and loves them and can be trusted. 
As I was wrestling with it, I came home, and my son Caleb was watching a movie on TV. He was watching Moneyball. You ever see Moneyball? It's the story of um, Billy Bean. He was the Oakland A's general manager of the baseball team, and he had figured out a way through analytics to make a team that had very low payroll and the lowest talent in the league win. And so, because he was so good at it, the Boston Red Sox, who were loaded with cash, decided to make him an offer to be their general manager that basically he couldn't re refuse. It was a ridiculous amount of money. And he was debating taking it or not, and in the end he didn't, because he said, quote, I'm never gonna make a move just for money. But what struck me was what his assistant in the movie said to him as he wrestled with the decision. His assistant looked at him and said, look, if you do take it, here's what you need to know, Billy. He said, if you do, you're not doing it for the money, you're doing it for what the money says. It says you're worth it. You see, this Christmas, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. But this Christmas, you can also have the peace of God. You just have to really believe that he's near and trustworthy and that he loves you. And how can you be sure? Well, I showed you when I began what a picture of experiential avoidance looks like. And sometimes, as I said, a picture says a thousand words. And so because it does, I'm going to show you too. How can I know I can trust him and that he loves me? Well, first there's this one. And then there's this one. And to quote Billy Bean's guy, it's not about the money. There is no peace there. That's circumstantial. That'll go away. See, it's about these pictures and their shared truth. And you know what they tell me? They tell me that according to God, you're worth it. You have peace with God. Now go and live with the peace of God. Let's stand and sing.